today we're talking about Sam Altman. He's out and he's in and then he's out and he's in. We're talking about, well, which is it? Do you like it or not? And I'm going to give you a Thanksgiving debrief that you're going to appreciate to use next year with all your family and friends at the table who are raging liberals. All this and more on the Self-Evident Podcast. All right, welcome to the Self-Evident Podcast. You got Mike. You got absolutely nobody next to me. Why? Because Massey decided to haul off and uh, get out of town for Thanksgiving. He didn't bring me, so you know, a little upset about that, but that's okay. And by the way, he decided to bring our producers with him without me. And so now I have the true A-team. I've got my team of producers. I won't use their names because I don't know if they want to be public. They, they may be afraid of the throngs of people who hate us, but that's okay. So, guys, I'm protecting your, your identity. Although, one of you got blasted on Facebook the other day. So. <laughs> Anyways, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys had a great turkey day. Uh, my Thanksgiving was very very amazing, very awesome. The problem is we didn't have turkey because we are against turkeys in all forms. Uh, we do not celebrate turkeys. And so we had meatballs. That's right. We had meatballs. We had uh, mashed potatoes. We had stuffing. We had corn casserole, whatever it's called. You see, you're making faces. You're making faces. But see, it was. I liked it. It was good. Um we had Caesar salad, so that was our greenery, and then a bunch of desserts. So it was good. I hope everybody else did. Did you guys? You guys didn't have turkey either. Well, he did a little bit. I like being so like obscure and cryptic, so people are like, "Who are they? Who is he talking to?" <laughs> You'll never know. Her. Anyways, um, it's I love Thanksgiving, and here's the deal. I can't stand it when people start celebrating Christmas before Thanksgiving. Drives me up a wall. And so I told my wife, I said, okay, that's it. We are going to celebrate Thanksgiving. We're going to actually create Thanksgiving season. Once it's done, then we'll celebrate Christmas. So we put up like soft white lights. We had hot fall candles we had a table runner and a, a fall harvest type setup the center of the table we we had a lo-fi jazz like coffee shop jazz going and i am determined to come up with a thanksgiving music selection if i've got to write it myself i'll do it so that way we can have thanksgiving music instead of this christmas music junk happening the first of november as soon as halloween's over i'm done with it yeah see you agree i get thumbs up from my crew yeah see my crew is with me y'all better get on the train uh but today we're going to cover some debrief of thanksgiving stuff around that i'm going to give you some ammunition because of course what do we always talk about 
when we're talking about Thanksgiving, those evil, horrible pilgrims and the massacres that they committed that they didn't actually commit. Um, before we get started, go to the selfevidenttruth.com. Don't forget, we have our year-end newsletter that you need to check out. Be sure to read it. Be sure to donate towards our monthly or our year-end goal if you wish to be a part of the team. If you'd wish to be a monthly member, by all means, sign up, become a torchbearer. Or if you are a monthly member, we are asking you to prayerfully consider adding just a little bit to your monthly, helping us hit that budget that we've got to have to do all the things we want to do. And we got major goals for 2024. So check out the newsletter. Also, you can check out our merch. We got shirts. We got stuff fulfilled by amazing people. They send it out to you. They they love you through giving you the product. Probably even pray over each one, anointed with holy water. You're getting a blessing in your mailbox or on your doorstep. So order something from us, would you? And you could also order my book, Become Forged. And I'm, I am on the finishing steps of the workbook for the book, which will be a great group study. It'll be great for you bringing yourself through it. And it really goes deep with you as your identity, your personality, what God has placed into you, as well as your spiritual relationship. And I, I've crafted this for people to really make a change in their life, and, and maybe you don't have somebody in your life to disciple you or disciple your son. I wanted to create these tools to help people out. So go to the self-evident truth, get yourself the book, Get ready for the workbook. Let me know if you're interested in the workbook. And I'm, I'm telling you, I, I am proud of it because I think it could really help. And I know other people who feel like it's really helped them. Along with that, and I'm not going to say too much, but I am gearing up to do a lot more than just the book. Uh, I got some plans. You know, Massey and I have dropped some hints. But I've got some plans in the works to where... It will be something that will be very effective for you. It'll create a community for you. It'll be an online thing as well. And it'll be something where, especially if you're, say, 18 to 30, if you're older, by all means, come on in. But if if you're, say, an 18 to 30, 18 to 34-year-old male, and you, you're kind of looking around at the world and you're like, okay, I got all kinds of voices that are telling me to all do all kinds of things and all of that, but what's that that Christ discipleship factor that fits into every area of my life? Um, keep your eyes peeled, because my hope is to launch it at the beginning of the year, and I'll let you guys know more details as things come through, but this is really exciting, because it's something that's been on my heart for a long time, and kind of like that racehorse at the gates. Once those gates open, it's off. Here we go. So now that we got all the announcements out of the way, we're getting into the news topics. You guys ready? Game on. Okay, here we go. Number one, Sam Altman is back at OpenAI. Now, we haven't even talked about this story, and this may not normally be in the crosshairs of our audience, but it is something that I thought was interesting because it brings forward that whole debate about AI. So what happened? So Altman was the CEO of OpenAI, 
This is a company that brought you ChatGPT. They're really at the forefront of the whole AI thing. Altman's kind of that wonderkin that everybody looks at as like he's heading this AI movement. Now, last Friday, the board dismissed him, and it it happened strangely, out of nowhere, right? And it was something that everybody was like, whoa, you, you just kicked out your golden goose. And so Microsoft was jumping on Altman, and Microsoft was saying, well, we want him. We, we'll, we'll go after him. And now he's back on the board. Now he's back at the company. What's going on here? Some are theorizing that something happened with a major breakthrough with a program called QSTAR, which was allowing the AI model to surpass humans in most economically valuable tasks. Now, Reuters says the AI milestone was a significant factor in the board firing Altman. Another concern was the commercialization of advanced AI model without understanding its social economics consequences. So what happened with this QSTAR? The rumor that is coming out is that it can solve mathematical problems at the level of a grade school child. With ChatGPT, basically what it does is it crawls for words and puts them together as, as it's trying to predict what a human would say, right? So this word, well, what words would be chosen after this word? This word. What words would be chosen after that word? This word. With this, it's actually solving math problems it has not seen before. Now, it's solving them and acing the tests at a grade school level. What makes people concerned is this is just the beginning of it. So now that it's got the premise down, now it's going to start learning exponentially. This isn't what they said. This is what Mike is saying. But you could see it where, say, in six months, it's solving massive uh, financial system algorithms in order to predict what a company is going to do say, for stocks, right? We already have algorithms and programs that put things together, but this could scour all of that and really come with conclusions that is, is far surpassing humans. And uh, who was it? Uh, Goldman. Goldman report outlined that there could be over 300 million layoffs due to AI, and if you think about what this AI program breakthrough happened at OpenAI, this could change the game in terms of financial, socioeconomic issues, all of that. And people are rightfully concerned of like, okay, now we're making major breakthroughs in AI. What, what are the consequences? And so, again, there are rumors of what actually happened, but there is a lot of belief that OpenAI looked at Sam Altman and said, this happened, you didn't tell us right away, and we're just blowing through instead of kind of slowing down and figuring out what should we do with this, what are the ethics of this? I think OpenAI probably brought him back because they realized they were going to collapse without him. So in case you weren't watching the situation, they kick him out. A bunch of the staff get together and write a letter saying, if he's gone, we're gone too. We'll go to Microsoft with him. How dare you do this? So they bring him back to try and stabilize things. And it's an interesting story to uh, keep an eye on, especially because of what Altman's been saying. Altman recently said, I think this is like definitely the biggest update for people yet. 
And maybe the biggest one we'll have, because from here on, like now people accept that powerful AI is, is going to happen and there will be incremental updates. There was like the year the first iPhone came out and then there was like everyone since. In other words, this is such a big breakthrough that this changes the paradigm. And like the iPhone changed the paradigm and then all of a sudden everything ratcheted up. He's wondering, is this the same thing? He also said the day before he got fired, is this a tool we've built or a creative or a creature we have built? Is this a tool we've built or a creature we've built? Opens up all kinds of questions, all kinds of dilemmas. And you get both sides. You get the side that says AI is a tool for humanity. We've got to push forward. This will be great. Then you get the other side that says that's going to destroy humanity. I saw Terminator 1, 2, and 3. I know what happens. It all going to collapse and Skynet is going to destroy us. I don't know. And I would ask you guys, but you guys want to be anonymous. So uh, I think they agree with me. I think there's a dilemma here. And... I don't know if the board was... I don't know enough about it. I don't know if the board was right in firing Altman. But Altman, as a person, scares me because he doesn't seem to have any moral qualms about anything that he's doing. Everything that comes out of his mouth is almost like a, yeah, we're going forward. You know, He, he wants to see the end. He wants to explore. He wants to create. Cool. But I appreciate more of an Elon Musk that's kind of like, eh, can we wait a second? Um, so we'll see. I, to me, Altman, just watching him, he doesn't have a whole lot of conscience to him (laughs) in this realm. Maybe he does. I don't know, but he hasn't seemed to have voiced a bunch of concerns about it. Moving on. This one is fun. Well, which is it? So now native Americans are coming out saying you shouldn't have changed the redskin name. We're suing. That's right. And we actually covered this back when it was happening, and we said, and I'll reiterate, in 2016, the Washington Post came out with a poll that said 9 out of 10 Native Americans are not offended by the name Redskins. Now, the other 1 out of 10 is Elizabeth Warren, and, you know, she was upset, but the rest of them weren't. So Native American group, the Native American Guardian Association, NAGA, I don't know if they wear MAGA hats, okay, but they're NAGA. Naga is suing Josh Harris, the owner of the Commanders, formerly the Redskins, and the National Congress of American Indians, saying that we're not offended by this name. You shouldn't have changed it. This actually is harming our heritage. Now, why would that be? They're arguing that Redskin is actually an honorable title And it's an honorable representation of their tradition and their history. This is something you didn't hear at all pushed forward by any of the news outlets when they were talking about it. Or any of the politicians who were like, we need to change the name now because we care about a sports team name. Do you? Do you actually? No, you don't. So they actually claim they were huge fans of the team because of the name. And in fact, did you know? Probably very few of you know this. Chief John Two Guns White Calf image was the Redskins image. 
So a specific image of a chief who actually existed, that was his image that was the Redskins' mascot. Now, moving further, it was given to the team honorably in 1970 by the Blackfeet tribe as a, a representation, honorary representation of Native Americans for the team. It was not a the team stole the image and happened to make it look like somebody. It was a specific image that an actual tribe said, hey, we want you to use this as your logo. And the term redskin actually re is in reference to a ceremony in which the warriors would paint their body with red dye from the bloodroot plant before battle. This is what happens when wokeism runs amok. This... this it's hilarious to me because people spent so much time tearing their hair out about this term and about this logo. And, of course, they went after the Atlanta Braves and the, the North Dakota uh, fighting Sioux got embroiled in the whole thing. What's that? Ohio Indians. There you go. Right? Like, all of a sudden, everybody was on the table. And it's hilarious because they automatically assume it's white man's racism that is doing this it's mocking it's it's belittling of people's heritage and in michigan there is a small little college called hope college and they're, they're from holland michigan so like 20 minutes south of me they're called the flying dutchman i'm dutch should i be offended should i be offended in fact i'm kind of excited like hey somebody actually has a mascot about you know my heritage Especially because, like, Holland is, like, Dutch city central, right? So, but you've got Notre Dame, the fighting Irish. Notre Dame is known for its Irish heritage. So are, should the Irish be offended because, oh, well, they're, they're stipulated, you know, they're, they're trying to argue that Irish like to fight. It's kind of true. <laughs> I mean, but they're, <laughs> they're not mocking the Irish. They're, they're honoring the Irish. Hope College is honoring Dutchmen. So maybe take a stop from your progressive, woke, mind-exploding manner in which you think everything is a microaggression. Every term is a microaggression. Everything is cultural appropriation. And stop, and maybe there's some honoring going on. There's some, hey, this is tradition, this is honor, we want to uplift this especially like the fighting Sioux. If you're a sports team, you're not going to pick something that you want to degrade and belittle as your mascot. That's stupid. That's absolutely stupid. I would never call my sports team the fighting progressives, the fighting woke. Why? Why would I do that? I have this school, this university. I'm going this way. I want my sports teams to be tough. I want their, their mascot to be feared, intimidating. And I'm going to go, the fighting communists. No! There is no intelligence behind that. So why? Why would you automatically assume that what a sports team is doing is using a racial slur for their mascot. Oh, we'll get them now. We'll, we'll plaster it all over. That's what we're going to do. Come on. This doesn't make sense. 
What makes more sense is, hey, there's a fighting spirit to this group of people. There's a, a toughness to this people. This is something that, that we want to use as an imagery of who we are as a sports team. So we're going to include that. Let alone the fact that a tribe itself was like, use it, go with it. More power to you. And I believe that Washington Post poll. The Washington Post is not the one who's going to come out with a conservative-leaning poll unless they can't really get around it. And this poll, 9 out of 10. And, and it guaranteed, you ask people who are actually Native American and not one two-thousandth Native American and, and don't have an axe to grind for a political activism issue, you ask the average Joe Native American, hey, do you care about the Washington Redskins? No. Are you offended by it? No. Do you want to see it changed? I don't care. Can I go now? That's the extent of it. And actually, this, this Naga group, I love it. That's awesome. I support you, Naga. They actually said they're fan, they were fans of the team because of the name, because of the logo. They're, hey, this is us. We're, we're being uplifted. So what do you think? I want you to put in the comments. I want you to reach out to us. What do you think? Are you offended by it? Should we start calling you Elizabeth Warren? I'm going to leave that one there. All right, moving on. The EU has done it. We will take over the world one country at a time. You now will have no veto rights. That's right. In a vote on Wednesday, the EU decided to remove the national veto for certain major issues because that'll go well. Yep, government decided to, shocker, remove the ability to stop legislation if you don't agree with it. So with only a majority of 17 votes, the EU supported a proposal put forward by the Verhofstadt group who are led by Guy Verhofstadt, who should be called dictator in training at this point. This guy very much wants to see a centralized all-encompassing, powerful EU where the member states can neither escape nor disagree. You will march in step. The vote amends the European Union treaties to centralize power and limit the sovereignty of the member states and gives the Eurocrats sole competency over issues like the environment, education, and public health and no longer need unanimity 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 among the member states in those key policy areas. Notice those key policy areas. Environment. Have we not been hammered by the, the climate change policy? Day in, day out. And it's so open-ended. It's so easy for them to use that as, well, you know, we got to regulate you more because uh, spin the wheel, climate change, or public health, where the WHO is now determining that they can declare an emergency in your nation without your consent. So roll the wheel. Nigeria is now having an emergency. Well, two people have the flu. Doesn't matter, emergency. World health emergency. We're coming in. You notice this grab for power. And it, it we in America, especially constitutionalists, we recognize this grab for power. We're always vigilant against it because every legislation that gets passed, it's like, okay, why is this getting passed? What power does this give you over me? When you look at it in that lens, the same thing is going on in the European Union. 
The original intent of the European Union was much like the United States of America. They were supposed to be sovereign states that came together with a government body to kind of oversee things going on. But like anything, especially where power starts to get centralized, that train rolls down the tracks. And so what you're seeing in the EU is consolidation of power and a more and more we're not letting you escape. Now, a good friend of self-evident is very adamant that the American Constitution gives no out for the states. There's no legally permissible way for a state to secede from the Union. And I, I tend to agree, especially because uh, Madison and Jefferson authored the Kentucky Resolutions, which would have done that. But it failed. It didn't get passed. And you, you see in the Civil War, it was a federal government that was trying to keep the states from seceding. Now, reasons aside, why they were seceding, why it was going on, the fact remains the federal government saw fit that they could keep those states from seceding from the Union and used military force. You're watching the same thing happening in the EU. We watched Brexit. And everybody flipped their lid. Oh, England's going to collapse as a country if they leave the EU. They're fine. But there was this whole argument about, well, they shouldn't be able to secede, and they're, they're seceding, and what are we going to do? And you get nation states in the EU that are fighting against what the EU is doing, such as Hungary. And there was something about Hungary was disagreeing with more aid package to Ukraine, and so they were stalling something, and that's what kicked off this vote. And you'll see, if this vote passed, more will pass like it, and you'll see less and less autonomy and sovereignty of those individual countries. They signed a pact with the devil. They really did. So, yeah, we'll all get together, and we'll, we'll cooperate, and we'll have free travel between our states, and we'll, we'll use the euro, and this will be great. Notice they're tied by finances. They're tied by money. And money will control them. Be very aware of that. So often people are like, yeah, well, our state, the federal funding, they'll take it away. Yes, they're blackmailing you with your own money. That's their point. So when, when a state like Florida says, we're going to do this with our education system, and the federal government comes back and says, well, we'll, we'll cut your funding if you do that with public education, they are blackmailing you with your money. And at some point, a state needs to stand up and say, okay, I'm still going to do it, and then sue for their dollars. Say, that's our money you're trying to hold over our head to do your agenda. That's blackmail. You can't do that. So I think when states start stepping up, and you see this in Europe with like Orban from Hungary, and I'm not saying he's a good guy, I do because that gets into that whole, like, oh, he's a tyrant. I, I'm not saying he's a good guy. What I'm saying is I don't mind when somebody stands against the centralized establishment. Go for it. It needs to get checked. And if you don't stand against it, it will run you over. And there are too many people who are cowards sitting in those positions that aren't willing to get run over because they're making too much money. Their pockets are getting lined. How much has AOC stood against the establishment lately? She'll throw out her little quips. 
But man, when she got checked hard, when they started investigating her for campaign finances, that was a shot across her bow. And actually, on Monday, I'm going to cover a story about a Democrat who opened his mouth a little too wide, a little too vocally, and guess what happened? Now he's embroiled in all kinds of investigations. They will come after you if you don't tout the party line. That's power trying to keep power. But you have to have those people who are willing to stand up. It's exactly what the founders were. Think about it. Massey and I were talking about this the other day. Think about this. You, you had a bunch of guys sitting in a tavern who go, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take on the most powerful army in the world. Yeah, why not? It's like, You have to have had a beer or two in order to make that decision. I'm just saying. Like, y- you must have been having a beer, and you're sitting there and going, yeah, taxing me with a stamp act? I'm done with you. We're fighting. That's right. Get off my land. I don't know how the founders turned Canadian, but, you know, it happens. So sometimes you need somebody with a little brash intent to shake the fist at the establishment. And the funniest thing is all of these woke scolds, all of the, this progressive, liberal, woke scolds, social justice against the oppressor people love the underdog revolution story. But when it's the wrong colored people, all of a sudden it can't be a revolution. It's just oppressors trying to gain traction. All of a sudden, the story is not useful. It's not valid. You don't actually care about protecting rights. You care about protecting power. And so when the establishment has the power and you are part of the establishment, all of a sudden the revolutionary, well, you've got to villainize them. And so you'll paint them wrong by their color. You suddenly have the power and you want to keep the power. And you want the power on. And Energy Ops can help you keep the power on. With Energy Ops LLC, you can keep your power on because they will come in and they will help you. You like that? That was, that was smooth. Yeah. With Massey and I, sometimes we're in a bit of a competition. How smooth can you be? It's, I get points for that one. Massey, you owe me points for that one. Energy Ops LLC, be sure to reach out. They're amazing. EnergyOps.us, Charleston, South Carolina area, faith-filled, family-owned business, veteran-owned business, small business-minded. They want to give you value. They want to give you their best service possible. They will take care of you. They care about you getting great service and keeping your power on. They'll help you if you need to hook up a generator. They'll help you if you need to hook up your EV. That's right. They don't discriminate. They they might not support the whole globalist green agenda, but they'll help you hook up your EV outlet if you need it because they care about you. They'll put politics aside to help you out, and I know this for a fact. I won't get into it, but let's just say he has helped some people that he would not agree with politically or spiritually. And his heart totally was to help. Like, I want to help. I want to do this. I want to, I want to be there for them. Amazing people. Amazing people. Charleston, South Carolina. 
Also, I know I say it bit tongue in cheek, but I would love to put a national tour together for this guy. I would love to get it to where he's got jobs all across the U.S. and he just spends a month with his family touring and and doing electrical work for people. He may not want to do that, but I want him to. So check out Energy Ops. All right, on to the main story. You're going to get a little history lesson because we are self-evident. And by the way, you can get more of a history lesson if you take our Constitution course, which is online, fully available for you at theselfevidenttruth.com. We have our Black Friday sale. How did, how did you not remind me to mention the Black Friday sale on Black Friday? Golly. I didn't think of it either, but I'm going to put it on you because I can. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Black Friday sale, go. We've had pre- we have stuff off on all kinds of things. Go to the Black Friday sale, get the Constitution course, sign up, learn yourself some stuff. And then move forward. And I'm going to give you a little snippet of a historical lesson. Now, this stuff is actually more in-depth than we did in the Constitution course because we were focusing more on the Constitution. But this focuses on the pilgrims. Because what are we told? White people came over, massacred all the Indians, and then they celebrated with Turkey. and, And the ones they didn't kill with their rifles or their muskets because... All they cared about were single-shot muskets. They didn't want anybody to have anything more than a single-shot musket, mind you. I'm just taking shots at everybody right now. Not only that, they wanted to hand smallpox blankets to all of them. Okay, we'll rub our smallpox on these blankets, and then we'll give them to the Indians, and that way we can kill them all off without having to use ammo. But it's not true. None of it's true. All of it's a twist. So we're going to... We're going to talk about how the pilgrims were first attacked by the Indians. Not the other way around. They were attacked first. And they had actually always sought to maintain peace. But the Indians Indians were so xenophobic and racist that they didn't want anything to do with the first colonies. And I am going to hammer that point. That they were racist. They were xenophobic. They were against the refugees on their shores. They were the oppressors. I'm going to use your language because you use it all the time against the pilgrims when, in fact, the pilgrims were in the position of the people you supposedly want to have sympathy for all the time. But they had the wrong skin color. Miles Standish, we're starting with him. He was hired as a military advisor for the pilgrims. On December 11, 1620, Standish led an expedition of 18 men to shore. A group of Indians attacked them in the night without provocation. This was their first encounter with the Indians. They get off the boat. They're on the shore. The number one encounter is they get attacked. They settle in Plymouth Bay in late December. And as some of you remember, that winter, half of them died. Standish organized a military in 1621. So then they made contact with the Indians in March of 21. Now, Samoset, some may know this name, English-speaking Indian, arrived as an envoy of Massasoit, the chief of the Poconocet tribe. Now, Massasoit, he was a reasonable guy. And the Poconocet were actually kind of the, the bullied tribe on the block. They were a little bit smaller, a little bit weaker, and they got picked on a lot. 
And Massasoit recognized, okay, maybe I got some allies here. So he sent an envoy, Samoset, an English speaker, and they create a peace treaty. They said, okay, let's let's work together. Let's let's hang out. Let's do our thing. So they became close. Squanto arrived and actually replaced Samasoit and became a close friend of the pilgrims, teaching them how to survive and ushering in hundreds of years of Turkey and football. Thank you, Squanto. We we honor you, Squanto, because without you, we would not have the Lions losing every single Thanksgiving day. So the first violence between the pilgrims and those xenophobic racists named the Indians happened when Corbatant, a rival to Massasoit, took Squanto captive and intended to kill him. Oh my gosh! There was tribal warfare? Tribes didn't like each other? They tried to kill each other? No, no, no. That's that's not what my 10th grade uh, history teacher taught me. He taught me that the pilgrims came and killed everybody and then celebrated, and that was Thanksgiving. Brain explode. So what happened? Standish led a daring nighttime raid to rescue Squanto from the oppressors. Two Indians were shot, but none died. And notice I said oppressors. So Standish, oh, they took Squanto? That ain't happening on my watch. So he took a group, and they went and got him back. I would say, hmm, maybe they cared about him. In November 1621, an envoy of the Narragansett arrived in Plymouth with a bundle of arrows wrapped in snakeskin. And we all go, oh, that's nice. They brought him arrows. That's cool. Yeah, your face, exactly right. No, no. Uh, Squanto helped. He, he translated or interpreted the sign. He said, yo, bro, they declare war on your white butts. That's what this is. That's war. So the Narragansett and the Massachusetts saw the friends of their enemies as their enemies. If the white people are with the Poconocet, we're declaring war on all of them. So in 1623, as more settlers arrived, Massasoit warned Plymouth Colony of a plan to wipe them out. Massasoit sent somebody and said, hey, they're planning something, just to give you a heads up. So Standish initiated a preemptive strike, killing the leaders of the Massachusetts plot with the help of the Poconocets. He cut the leader's head off and brought it back to Plymouth. This scattered the Indians for several years. And honestly, at this point, I'm like, Standish, go for it, man. Cut the head off the snake. Show it to him and say, you're next. Oh, that's so horrible. Oh, offended. Notice they seem to respond to strength because groveling and getting on your knees wasn't going to work. You're just at a better scalping height. Oh, that's right. 50 years of peace was kept until the deaths of Standish, William Bradford, and Massasoit. Then what happened? Notice, okay, so this war is almost going to start. Standish cuts it off, literally, and then peace is kept until Massasoit, Standish, and William Bradford, who is very integral in the whole thing, they all died. So what happened next? Massasoit's son, Medicom, took over. And Medicom originally wasn't supposed to, but his older brother died. And so Medicom became the next 
in the line of succession. Also known as King Philip. That's, that was their term for him, King Philip. You may have known about King Philip's War. Maybe you didn't. We talk about King Philip's War in the Constitution course, which you should take. King Philip's War, why did it happen? Medicom, a.k.a. King Philip, started a race war to exterminate an entire race of people on the continent. And that is exactly what he said he wanted to do. He wanted to eliminate all the white people from the continent. It's a race war. It's a racist, xenophobic, genocidal race war. You can't get around it. No matter how you slice it, dice it, cut it, fry it, boil it, it's a potato called racism. The racist, xenophobic, privileged oppressor, because he had all the power, so he was privileged, Medicom started a war against all the white men in New England, and the violence began with the murder of a Christian Indian by other Indians. The Indian, John Sassamon, Sassamon, was killed by Philip's oppression supporters as he tried to warn the pilgrims of the plot. Now, the killers were caught, tried, convicted, and executed by a jury of 12 Englishmen and six Indians. Medicom used it as an event to declare all-out war on all white people. He had his event. Oh, they executed my people. I'm going for them, race war. This was King Philip's war. Now, this brought the oppressed pilgrims together, the oppressed colonies together, as a collective identity as New Englanders. They banded together to form a militia and fight against the systematic racism of the oppressor establishment. I'm going to keep throwing it in all over the place. King Philip went south with his army, looking to get more Indians for his war. Now, unfortunately for him, he entered Mohawk territory, who were longtime rivals. The Mohawks ambushed Philip and destroyed his army. He escaped, but his allies abandoned him. So he goes down in the south. He's thinking, hey, I'll get the Mohawks with me. I'll get all these other Indian tribes. We'll wipe the white man out. And the Mohawks go, you're in enemy territory right now. We're going to destroy you. So Philip escapes. He runs away with a couple of guys, but he loses all of his allies and he was eventually hunted down and killed by a raiding party led by Miles Standish's son, Josiah Standish. You know what comes to mind? Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Notice, Medicom had no interest in developing peace with the people that his father had over 50 years of peace with. Live by the sword, die by the sword. And the actual man who shot him was an Indian named John Alderman. Hmm, wasn't even a white man. Now look at the pilgrims. These are people who fled religious persecution and wanted to live peacefully. I want you to put your thinking cap on for a second. These are religious people who have been through severe persecution to the point where they escape their homelands to go to another land. Do you think their first mission when they move to the homeland or to their new land their first mission is, let's see how many people we can piss off at once. Let's see how many people we can kill. Would you do that? No. You're walking onto the new land going, I just don't want to die. I just, just let me live. Let me live in peace. 
but it was the privileged establishment elite oppressor Indians who were already there that didn't want them to be there in peace. They didn't want them there. Now, did faults happen on both sides? Yes. But this idea that the pilgrims came and they decided we're just going to wipe out everybody is false. It's not true. They tried to make land contracts to purchase land. They tried to make alliances and agreements. They tried to become allies. Again, were they perfect? No. You, you have some of these guys making land contracts, and then the Indians are fighting over who actually has the right to give the land contract. So they would actually pay him two, three times just to make sure the land contract was good. I got three tribes fighting over this land. Fine. I'll pay each of you for the land. Go away on your merry way. But these people flee religious persecution. They want to live peacefully. And they were victims of an attempted genocide by racist oppressors who saw nothing but their skin color and killed these refugees who were coming across their borders for safety. All they wanted was a peaceful life. And the Indians, being the privileged bourgeoisie elite of the racist, classist, Christophobe, xenophobic system of the New World, decided they wanted to kill innocent Christians for their faith and skin color. See, I can do it too. I can throw all kinds of labels. I can overgeneralize. I can create destructive labels and names just because that's the way I feel. So what's the point in all this? When you go to Thanksgiving next year or when there's the obvious Facebook arguments that are happening right now about whether or not it was good or bad or what, what have you, or you shouldn't celebrate Thanksgiving, it should be Native Indians Day or something, whatever it is, now you have a chance to set the record straight. Just ask people if they know who King Philip is. More than likely, they'll say no. Or they'll do a quick Google search and say, well, he was Native American who was at war with the pilgrims. And ask them about his father, Massasoit. And what the relationship was between Massasoit and the pilgrims. And why did that relationship change? What was going on there? He wanted to purify the lands. I, I, I'm going to round it out, but I, I think that history lesson is important, and I like it because I love history because history is always more nuanced than we try to put it out. There's more nuance than I could do in 15 minutes to this whole situation. That's why I said, were they perfect? No. John Smith was not a good guy. John Smith created a lot of havoc. He was, he was brash. He was an adventurer, and, and he was the type to go out and cause strife. Miles Standish wasn't. Miles Standish was not the guy that just wanted to go out and cause strife. In fact, he, at one point, he just wanted to get out of it. He wanted to be done. He wanted to just live a quiet life. Be aware of the story you're being told, the narrative you're being told, and what lens it's being told through. Be aware of the lens I'm telling you through. Because I have my positions, I have my beliefs, I have my direction or my side. So do you. And I see people throw around these accusations and these labels that, at best, 
aren't well-developed, at worst, are destructive, corrosive, and intentional. And it's funny because people will point the finger and say, so-and-so does this and this and this, and that's why I hate so-and-so. When the person you're defending does the exact same thing, or the group you're defending does the exact same thing, or the nation you're defending does the exact same thing. We're watching feminists stand up for Hamas. <laughs> Insanity. So I leave you with this. I love Thanksgiving. I love what it represents because you cannot get around the imagery of pilgrims getting to the table for days at a time with the Indians, celebrating the blessings of the harvest, celebrating the blessings of life, celebrating the fact that the Indians saved their scrawny, pale white butts. They would have died without the Indians. I don't think, hey, you saved our life. Now we're going to kill you all. Does not work that way. Okay? So, be sure to check out theselfevidenttruth.com. Get yourself some merch. Do not forget Black Friday sale. If you're a listener, please reach out. Don't forget to like, subscribe, click the buttons and all the things and the notifications. Keep an eye out. We are every Monday and Friday, 11 a.m. from here on out. Till we change our mind. We're on consistently 11 a.m. So I love you all. Thank you so much. Be praying for Massey and the family as they are out, out of town, enjoying their Thanksgiving week. And pray for me because I'm here holding up the studio. It can do it. I love you guys. Have a great weekend. See you Monday. Love y'all.